0: College Student Success Podcast, a podcast where college students and faculty come together to talk about mental health, wellness, mentorship, and entrepreneurship. Together, we set and achieve goals for ourselves to get us where we want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malenzak, and this is episode 98 of the podcast. And welcome back, everybody. Hope you enjoyed your week off and your spring break, and I hope you had some fun. I hope you uh, got some some time to yourselves, some time spent with your family, whatever it is you were looking for in that week off. I hope you got it. I uh, enjoyed my week off. It actually was pretty much like a regular week for me because when uh, instructors have off or when instructors have spring break, they're still working and preparing and grading and stuff. Um, I actually enjoy the following week this week because um, I get a little less grading because I stayed in my routine last week of grading things. And then, um, you know, since I didn't assign anything last week for spring break, it was nice this week to not have anything to grade. So I get a break there, too. Unfortunately, graduate school does not give you a break, at least at Rutgers. Uh, so I still have my class. Uh, but that just means I finish a little earlier, you know. So we're here in week nine uh, of the semester, We're more than halfway through. Next week, we will check in on goals again, and uh, we'll be two-thirds of the way through the semester, so we'll see how we're doing. I hope you guys are doing better than me. And uh, all right, so let's get into our topic for the day. We're going to wrap up our little mini-series we've been doing related to cognitive strategies and executive functioning for college students. So if you are new to the podcast, I encourage you to go back to the first episode in this series, which was on planning. And then we did one on attention and last time on memory. And today we're going to talk about kind of two different things, but they're small enough that I'm going to tackle them together. And they're somewhat related. Uh, So mental flexibility and set shifting, which you may know as multitasking. All right. So... Let's look at the first one, mental flexibility, right? So what does that mean? Mental, right? Your thought and thinking. Flexibility. So being flexible with your thinking, right? Um, Think about the opposite of that. Somebody whose thinking is sort of stuck in a rut, right? And I used this example a lot when I was working with uh, students in my uh, research study, thinking about this idea of uh let's use a really silly but easy to grasp uh example, right? I'm going to assume wherever you're wherever you are right now that you're inside, all right? You may not be. You know, maybe you're out walking your dog like I am some days. Uh but let's for the sake of this exercise assume you're inside somewhere. Let's say you're in uh in your car or I'm in my house right now. So I'm going to use that example. And let's say I finished up the podcast and was getting ready to leave. I'm going to be going to yoga later. And I tried the door and the door just would not open. Right? It was unlocked. And for whatever reason, I couldn't get out the door. That would be odd, wouldn't it? Uh, yes, it would be, right? So somebody who's thinking would be kind of stuck in a rut would have trouble kind of doing anything else but focusing on that door that just won't open. But if I asked you, you know, brainstorm some ways to get out of wherever you are right now. For me to get out of my house, it would be easy, right? I could brainstorm. I could go out my front door. You know, we have a side door that we typically use. So I can use another door. Uh, I could go out the window. Uh, There are many different windows I could use. Uh, I could call a friend or the police to come rescue me. I could bash the door down. I could uh, throw a chair through a window to escape, you know. So, all these different things relate to, you know, some are wilder things than others, but they all relate to something called brainstorming, right? And some people are really good at brainstorming, and some people are, you know, struggle with it. They just don't. They don't have the ability to sort of expand their mind. So, there's two things to think about when. Um, brainstorming. One is the more the better, right? So yeah, you may brainstorm ways to get out of the house. And you may be able to come up with, you know, creativity, creatively, you know, 15 or 20 different ways. And then in reality, you're like, well, was it really worth it to brainstorm all of these ridiculous ways? Because uh, when I look back at my list, you know, that's the first three or four that I shouted out were really the best options. And it really probably didn't It was pointless, in a sense, to keep going. That may be the way it works out in a lot of cases when you brainstorm, but not always. I have had lots of experiences where I've been brainstorming, especially in a group. um, And the rules, number one, is don't stop, right? So keep going. Don't think just because you got an answer that you like that means you have to keep going. And don't edit out your answers. So just because you, you you think of something ridiculous, don't not say it. Um one, your brain's going to keep coming back to it, you know, bef- until you say it or write it down, kind of the same way that your brain comes- keeps coming back to something that you didn't write down that you need to remember, uh, that I talked about in the uh, last episode, part three. So... You don't want to edit out responses because then your your brain will keep coming back to them and will kind of impede you from coming up with generating new responses. So just get it off your chest, get it off your mind. And two, saying that ridiculous thing may not actually be a good, you know, lead to a good response. But it might, somebody hearing you might think, oh, yeah, that is ridiculous. But it gave me this idea that's actually really excellent, right? So your stupid, silly, funny off the wall idea that would never actually work and that you brainstormed to solve this problem may actually trigger somebody to think of a halfway decent one right Uh, you never know where people's minds are going to go so brainstorming is a great way to improve your mental flexibility all right a pro and con list i cannot emphasize enough how helpful a pro and con list is for really, you know, more challenging decisions, right? You know, some people are indecisive, and it's like, oh, where am I going to eat for dinner tonight? And you can come up with a pro and con list for that. But like, I'm thinking about the more challenging things, like what am I going to study in college? Or no, it should be pro and con list should be kind of a yes, no, Um, you know, or or making a change or not. Um, So there's sort of pro and con list, you probably are are aware of the, the format, right? You, you know, Pros and cons of choosing psychology as my major in college, right? Pros, uh, something I'm really interested in. Um, you know, I have some experience in it already, blah, 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 blah. Cons, um, limited jobs when I get out, low pay, you know. Some, you know so that's one way to kind of um, improve your mental flexibility in order to solve a difficult problem. Um, we actually talk about in our field something called a payoff matrix, which is a slightly more advanced version of a pro and con list. So this relates to making a change, and it relates to so let's say, let's say related to that that example I gave before. Um, you were debating making a change. Let's say you had your current major you were in, and you were thinking about changing your major to psychology, right? So the way a payoff matrix works is you want to have actually four boxes instead of just two columns, pro and con, you're gonna have four boxes. And you're gonna have benefits of making the change, drawbacks of making the change, benefits of not making the change, drawbacks of not making the change. So it's pros and cons again, but it's two sets of pros and cons, a pro and con list for changing to psychology and a pro and con list for remaining the same and not and choosing not to change right? Think about how this plays out in a, in a more recovery-oriented decision, right? Let's say like um person is thinking about making a change of uh, stopping using drugs, right? And so you think about the pro and con list, it's like pros of stopping, you know, cons of stopping. But the payoff matrix actually really encourages you to explore options that you may not think are important, right? So when you're thinking about making this change of stopping using drugs, one of the things you're gonna think about is what are the pros if I don't stop, right? And it's like, well, I'll continue to use and that's a pro to somebody that is currently using because it's hard to stop, right? So um, I think it's important to sort of um, acknowledge those feelings even if they are, you know, some of the feelings that you probably wanna change. Um, so these are ways to kind of start to dig into mental flexibility. If you are the type of person who's thinking is stuck in a rut, who has trouble, it's like, oh, I, I have this assignment, and here's another one, and it's really open-ended, right? Some people really struggle with uh, an instructor that does not give you enough guidelines for a project, right? And, a, and an instructor may think they're, like, doing you a favor, right, because some students thrive in that kind of, you know, make up your own type of project, and others really fall flat. So if you're the one that falls flat, um, it could be helpful to be able to generate options, and then use different criteria to be able to sort of eliminate options that are undesirable, right? So there's a few key criteria you want to think about. The three criteria that I like to consider when I'm trying to think through a decision. So one is going to be cost. And so cost may be money, or it may be time, right? So if you're thinking back to this example, I gave earlier of like, I'm stuck uh, in my house, I don't know how to get out my door just won't open. Um, First, you want to actually think through the problem, right? So what is it you're trying to solve? Are you trying to get out of the house? Or are you trying to get the door open? Which problem you're solving will dictate everything that comes, you know, afterwards. So first try and sort of define what it is you're trying to solve. But when you're after you brainstorm different ways of solving a problem, the criteria you want to use cost, you know, how much time is it going to take me to, you know, uh, take the hinges off the door versus, you know, just throwing uh, something through a window and breaking in and getting out that way, Right. So it might cost you more time to get the hinges off the door, but it's going to cost you less money because you won't have to replace a broken window, right? If it was an emergency and it was a fire and you needed to get out the house, uh, you're not going to be thinking about the cost of replacing your broken window, right? Uh, you're not. If you have the option of getting through the window or you know taking five or ten minutes to get the hinges off, you're going to choose the window because your life's at stake, right? so cost is one factor ease of implementation so how easy is it to 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 do this option right you may not have the tools available to you to take the hinges off the door Um, but if you have a rock or something heavy you know it would be easy to go and break the window but actually now you think about it you look after breaking out the window, you look down, you're like, oh, crap, I have to now figure out how to get down because I'm one story up off the ground. Uh, so you're running into another issue that might be tough to implement versus if you called your neighbor who has a key, then they want to help you or call the police, you know, so one option cost, you have to factor in time and or money, how much time or money is it going to, is it going to, um, Are you going to sink into this option? How easy is it to implement this option? And then the third is, what are the odds that it's actually going to work, right? Um, If you do manage to get the hinges off the door, is there going to be some other hang up that prevents you from actually getting the door off the frame, right? Uh, So if you do this option, you know, what are the chances that it's actually going to work? So if you are able to brainstorm a number of different options to solve your problem, and then can use these criteria to be like, all right, if you find an option that's relatively inexpensive or quick um, to do, um, easy to implement, and odds are it's gonna solve your problem, that's probably gonna be a pretty desirable solution for you, right? Versus the one that's time consuming, costly, hard to actually enact, and even if you do manage to enact it, may not solve your problem, right? Flip side there, you're really not going to want to choose those options, right? Uh, Write all of this down. Uh, So don't try and do these types of, you know, thinking through a scenario uh, just in in your head, you know, write it out on paper or take notes on a computer or something because seeing the, you know, the different pluses and minuses, Uh, and different criteria and how they how they shake out, Uh, being able to visualize it, I think helps a lot of people in being able to, you know, feel good about the decision that they make. All right, let's go through the next some other options. So another thing you want to do is while you're doing this, or or while you're trying to solve any kind of problem, talk through the problem out loud. This is similar to the strategy we used uh, when talking about attention of self talk, all right, it keeps you focused on the problem. It allows your brain to um, to kind of block out other things that may be in competition for its attention. Um, so and also your brain hearing you talk through the problem rather than just like sort of the internal dialogue that you might be using to solve the problem. It might actually make your brain think about it, approach it, and solve the problem more efficiently. So it gets back to this idea of encoding, right? If you encode things uh, in a really organized way through multiple channels, you're going to be able to retain it better and recall it later on when you need it. When you are trying to solve a difficult problem, you want to you give your brain every advantage that it can have. So if it is able to quickly recall things because they are written down and in front of you, and if you are talking through the options out loud instead of reading them silently to yourself, you're, you're optimizing your the opportunity for your brain to do its best job in giving you the answer that's going to work best for you. All right. So... A lot of people that struggle with either mental flexibility, you know, kind of thinking through abstract things, or set shifting, um, they multitasking, Um, one thing that oftentimes they just need more of is time, right? If you are sort of, you know, the type of person that gets distracted easily, right? And actually, a lot of times people enjoy multitasking right? Um, To be able to do any kind of thing like that, you're to and do it well without errors. And accurately, you're going to need more time, you're often going to need to work at a slower pace. Or you're going to need to leave yourself time to check your work later. Right? Um, So honestly, most cognitive scientists and people that are looking into executive functioning would probably discourage you from multitasking. Um, Because it's actually, you know, the research has shown that a lot of times you're not actually doing two things at once, truly, you're actually switching between the two tasks very quickly. And that's why I use the term set shifting. So it's this idea of shifting between two sets for example, right? So let's say you're, you know, watching TV and doing homework at the same time, you know, and you might be like, oh, multitasking, you know, Um, you know, and so every time you are you look up at the TV, you're now focusing your attention on the TV. You might do that for a little while and then look back at your homework. And now you're focusing your your attention on your homework. There's never a point where you're truly half focused on the TV and half focused on their homework, and if you are, if you do manage to get that way, your homework is going to reflect that you were half focused because there's going to be visible errors. You know, you're not going to be able to to do any kind of um, any kind of activity that requires sufficient brain power uh, to you know do it do it well, right? I think of uh, multitasking. You know, I I mean I could think of it broadly, right? I like to walk my dog and listen to a podcast, right? So I'm actually doing three things there because I'm walking myself. Uh, I'm managing her on a leash and I'm also paying attention to the podcast sometimes. So is that set shifting? Am I like, focusing on the podcast, and then being like, Oh, no, I can't, I gotta focus on walking now. Um, Maybe, you know, if I if I came across a really difficult issue with walking, right, uh, there was a giant hole that I needed to navigate around it, um, I would probably stop paying attention to the podcast where I was like dealing with this, or something just kind of came up out of the ordinary, it would distract my attention. Right? so when we need more time, like, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to jump on the, you know, brain um, multitasking, you shouldn't do it type of bandwagon, because, I mean, you can decide to do that if you want, the The evidence is out there if you want to read it. I'm, I don't like to tell people what to do. So I'm going to say, and I, and I also like to, you know, quote, unquote, multitask myself. So if I want to do it, I'm not going to tell you, you know, not to do it, but I will say that I sort of accommodate myself, right? I only will do this with very low-level type of tasks, things that are, you know, easy and almost mindless, but it's not quite mindless for me to do, right? Um, data entry, um, you know, certain types of, of math, it's just very methodical, right? I don't have to think, I just have to do the computations in the right way. Um, you know, but I can't do things like reading a textbook, you know, while there's like, uh, you know, the TV going on in the background because I my brain, whether I want to or not, will try to, you know, divert its attention away. So the way you can get away with this as a student if you have a diagnosis is to request accommodations for more time. I personally don't really think getting more time for assignments is is necessarily the best use of an accommodation. And I actually don't see it granted. Um, ever really? Um, so the idea of like, well, if if uh, the class has an assignment due on each Wednesday, I'm gonna get an extra couple of days. Um, it, it hell happen from time to time, but typically people misuse that accommodation and end up it backfires and they end up getting more behind. So a lot of times, though, one of the most common we talked about this, I believe, with Brittany couple of last episode was extended time for exams you know so if you struggle with set shifting multitasking or mental flexibility and it's a more of an open-ended assignment you might request extra time to kind of go through the exam or project or whatever at your own pace uh, so I think uh, accommodations that allow you more time specifically for like Uh, exams and whatnot can be really helpful for people that struggle with flexibility and multitasking, you know, the tendency to multitask. So another issue that comes up uh, when this I think relates to all of the cognitive processes. Um, This this suggestion is clarifying things with your instructor. So if you're unclear of an assignment, for example, Um, You are not going to be able to plan for that assignment if you're stuck and it's a really important aspect of it. Um, Every time you go to, you know, attempt to work on it, your attention is going to be diverted. It might be focused on the thing you're not really uh, clear about or you might be trying to work around it but in, in a sense like still thinking about it in the background. Um, and it could impact your memory, and it could impact your ability, you know, in terms of set shifting. So I, I think it's, like, most important with planning. But I decided to, to kind of put it down here because I had a lot of suggestions for planning. Um, the idea of clarifying. So sometimes I, I this happens to me, like, on my to-do list. I'll notice that I'll, you know, I'll refresh my to-do list every couple weeks usually. It just gets so, you know so many, so many things written on it and so much crossed out that I like to have a fresh one every weeks. So I'll just, you know, take the last few remaining things that are on the to do list and transfer them onto a new one. Now, if I've transferred something a couple of times, from one to do list to the next to the next, that means it's been on there for like over a month. And if it's been on there for over a month, why? Right? So a lot of times it's because the task isn't clear. And it's like uh, something sort of uh, abstract about this, and I can't move forward until I get some clarity. That might be from an instructor, that might be from you know a bill, or you know you're not sure how to handle something, so it just sits there because you're not sure what the the true next step is. And my suggestion to you is the next step is get clarity, right? Um, so what else can we do? Oh, so clarity can also help with you know, set shifting, and mental flexibility. Um, mental flexibility is the idea of like knowing exactly what problem you're trying to solve. Right. Um, and you once you get that clarity can be a little bit more able to hyper focus on, you know, the solution. When it comes to set shifting, I think the thing that helps me the most is batching. Batching is sort of this idea of putting a bunch of things together and waiting to accumulate some and then doing it all at once. So my example and instructors, uh, teachers may enjoy this one is like the late assignment, right? So you have uh, an assignment that is due on a Monday. Uh, Let's say on Tuesday, you go to grade it and there are, you know, you have 20 students in your class and you grade, you know, 17 or 18 of them. And two people didn't hand it in. They handed it in late, so they get it next week, you know? And so maybe you sit down one day and you're like, oh, I got this one on Wednesday, so I'm going to grade this one. And then another one comes in on Thursday. and You're like, oh, I got this one on Thursday. I'm going to go grade this one. That's not the most efficient use of your time because you had to get into a mindset when you were grading. At least I did. Uh, And when I was in that mindset and I did all 18, you know, I was cranking them out and I was very efficient. But to get all into that mindset or, you know, get out where my rubric is and be, okay, what am I I grading on? Like, what are the things I have to think about when assigning a grade to this? Uh, You're not very efficient. So what I've come to do is I batch late assignments. I have a folder on my desktop. Anytime something comes in late, rather than grade it, I just put it in that folder. And once every, like, three weeks, I put it on my calendar, grade late assignments. And I do all of them at once. Do the students wish they got those assignments back with feedback in a more timely manner? Yeah, probably. Well, then they should have tended in on time, right? Um, if they're going to turn it in late, they're going to have to accept the fact that I'm going to be late in getting their grade back to them in addition to any kind of, you know, points do- deducted. So I don't really feel bad about being late with my feedback if the assignment was turned in late in the first place. So that's batching tasks. Another one might be like for a homework assignment, you know, doing a little bit each day works for people for certain assignments. That really is a good one, right? Uh, Reading, you know, uh, if I have 100 pages to read, I don't want to sit down and read 100 pages at once. Never. (laughs) Um, I would much rather break it up and read 10 to 15 per day. Other people might think, you know what, I'd rather batch this, you know, if I have to like get into like, okay, where's my book? All right, what was I? Well, what, what was the last part of the book? Oh, maybe I'm going to take notes on the book. And I'm going to, you know, got to get my notes and my pen. And I'm gonna be in a quiet space. It's just not worth it to them. For me, it's worth it. Because that's the kind of task that doesn't work for me to be able to do, you know, all at once. So think about the tasks that work for you in terms of like, I'm just going to wait to accumulate a bunch of these small things and do them all at once. Or a big task, I'm going to break down into smaller chunks. Sometimes that's actually more trouble than it's worth, because it does break up the flow. And flow is actually a cool thing that's actually it's a thing, you know, it's this idea that your brain has a optimal working style and when you can get into it when you find it first and get into it with the right kind of work the the, the hours just fly by right you, you get so engrossed in something uh, and when you do get, when you look up you're like wow I can't believe that two hours just went by or I can't believe how much I just got done or accomplished you want to be at trying to put yourself in the position to get into flow states as much as you can is that makes it easiest to work. So for some people, that is going to be a lot of little tasks, you know, and, and to know where they are and have them organized. And that's kind of how I like to work in a lot of cases, I don't like to spend, you know, an hour on each task, I like to, you know, work for 20 or 30 minutes on something, and then take a little quick break, and then work for 20 or 30 minutes on something else. And then I might go back to the other thing. And you might think, well, that's sort of a contradiction to what you were just saying about, you know, batching tasks or, you know, th- setting yourself up. It's like, well, I just learned that that's how I work. I'm not switching it up every five minutes. <laughs> and I don't think anybody really, you know, that that does set shifting with that kind of mindset would probably be very effective. But I don't know what, what the actual, where the, you know, where the line in the sand is, Uh, I do know, you know, thinking about like the Pomodoro technique, this idea that you work for 25 minutes and then take a five-minute break has been shown to be pretty effective. And uh, there's a lot of literature on it. So that's essentially what I do. I don't actually set an alarm or anything because some things are going to take 45 minutes. And I'm going to allow myself that time because I can, you know, focus and concentrate up to that amount of time. So uh, for instructors, oh, one more thing for students, um, puzzles and games so things that help you with organization and flexibility um i was just playing tetris yesterday like old school tetris showing my son and uh, i think that's more of like for cognitive strategies that would fall more in the planning domain Um, but there's other games that you can get um, if you check out lumosity I have it on my phone and me and my son will play it every once in a while because they'll allow you to play like three free games per day um, before they make you pay for it. So we'll do these little tasks when we're like bored or waiting to do something. And a lot of them are set shifting. It's like quickly moving your attention back and forth between two things. So it can be taught. It can be learned. You can get better at it. And it does have a real value in this world today right think about all the jobs that you you know may apply for in your time or have applied for so many times you look at the job description it's like um, person must be a good multitasker it's like well you really don't want people multitasking on the job because they're not going to be as efficient in doing any one thing what you want them to be is good at set shifting You know, being able to set up their schedule to have, you know, being able to shift quickly between activities, that's helpful. Um, But you really want people to be aware of the fact that multitasking is not the most efficient way to work. But if you are, you know that there are certain things that you can do to maximize your ability in terms of concentration and attention. So puzzles and games can help kind of train your brain to do that. For faculty, so I would say if you see students struggling, especially with the time factor, that you encourage them to register with disability services if they are so um, uh, eligible. Um, Recognize that open-ended assignments, while a pleasure for some people to do, are uh, a horror for others. So set limits on them. You can make something open-ended, but still give people, you know... um, firm parameters to work around right Um, and definitely make it make yourself approachable to the students that struggle with these assignments if you are going to be you know posting them Um, have multiple methods of evaluation for your students so recognize that students not every student is going to be able to you know think flexibly and and, uh, appreciate your open-ended assignment that you dreamed up and think it's just fantastic right some are going to hate that and don't penalize them because they hate it because that just may not be the way they think and demonstrate competency in that area so if you give your students multiple ways to demonstrate that they proficiently understand the topic you're trying to teach that is going to you know be the fairest way to do it and it's going to give everybody an opportunity you still you know there are going to be people that just don't master it and that's that's okay and in terms of, you know, keeping people on point, and avoiding the set shifting. So when you're lecturing to sort of announce when you're changing topics, Um, this helps a lot with like note taking as well. But it was just a strategy I added on here, um, because I had a lot when it came to note taking. And this idea that, you know, somebody could be focused on your lecture and then not realize that you changed you know, to a different topic. And as they're taking notes and not realize it and struggle with the like, wait, what's going on? If you actually announce it, they're like, all right, I'm going to actually be focusing away, I'm going to be turning away from this topic now and focusing on this one, you know, gives people be like, Oh, okay, I'm going to now focus my brain in that way as well. So, all right. Uh, That is what I have for today. I hope you uh, get something out of it. Maybe try out some of these tactics to think more flexibly, and to um, maximize if you do multitask the way you're able to do it, but also eliminate it in times when it's not very effective. All right. Hope you uh, enjoy this. Uh, this puts a bow on uh, the four-part cognitive strategy series, and so with that, I'm going to be in this show in the show notes for this week, uh, including a PDF that has all of the suggestions that I've made over the four episodes broken out into a little matrix. So I have in one column, planning, attention, memory, and then today's mental flexibility and set shifting. And then a column for instructor strategies that may be helpful to attend to these specific areas, these domains, and then uh, a set of student strategies. So look for that in the show notes, you can download that PDF, feel free to share it um you know it is yours to do whatever you want with it so all right everybody not sure what i'm going to come at you with next week but uh we will check in on our goals for sure uh so everybody out there welcome back uh gonna head into the second half of the semester with gusto and enjoy your week everybody take care peace